Hello, and welcome back to the Mildly Forge Boomers podcast. Uh, I'm Nero. Uh, we got James and Jake back. Funny. Uh, hey. Yeah, so got a few topics we want to talk about. Um, a lot of stuff in the news, to be fair. Big broad strokes of it. If you're British, what up? Hell yeah. Homeboys. Uh, funny. Uh, Sunak U-turn on green policy. Uh, we're going to do a quick rundown of whatever hap- is happening between India and Canada. Uh, that's interesting. Uh, China. It's China, let's be real. Uh, the funny disappearances of basically senior members in the government. And then we've got Russell Brand allegations. And then it's kind of been talked about, but like it's not really clear. Labour policies, quote-unquote. You're in the Labour Party, James, so feel free to elaborate Sign. on that. Yeah, but um, I'll open this f- the floor just based on what I put out there. I mean, whatever you want to talk about, we can start from there, really. I mean, ooh, hmm, where's a good place to start? We could probably start on the um, on the net zero, to be honest. The U-turn. Yeah, the, uh, the U-turn, yeah. What's been going on with that? So uh, give us a quick rundown, James. That's always helpful, <laughs> just for so, some context. Um, well, what's happened was, so the government had a policy to, um, but basically it was that by 2030, uh, well, from 2030 onwards, you were no longer going to be able to buy a petrol or diesel only car, brand new. Um, they've now gone back on that policy, given multiple reasons for it. One of the main reasons they gave for it was that um, it's more sustainable. And apparently if they uh, if they kept to you know for it to be 2030 it wasn't going to be sustainable and it was going to sacrifice a lot of the economy and blah 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 blah. because you know because they're such great economists the conservatives at the moment um the the, the other main reason for doing it really really stupid well it's not a stupid reason but it just annoys me because it's not true um the other reason they did it was they were basically sort of claiming that we're we're doing so much already um you know we're doing so great as a country and the fact that uh, apparently our carbon emissions as a country is uh, less than 0.1% of the global emissions. So the argument there was that, oh, well, well, we're, we're such a, we, 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 you know, we provide such a small amount of emissions. It really wouldn't make a difference if we did. They didn't say that explicitly, but that's what they were inferring. Insinuating. Um, yeah. yeah, insinuating and sort of pointing out the usual suspects like China and America, um, which I don't buy. Yes, China and America produce the most emissions. However, you can't really turn around and say, oh, well, we, we, we don't do as many, so we shouldn't do anything about it. That's, that's not an excuse to do nothing. Uh, yeah, we should be world leaders at the end of the day. Uh, America produces the most per person. Yeah, no, I, I, as I said, and, I don't... And, I don't, and I don't China, hmm. China said, just has a yeah. much larger population. Yeah, Probably per enough. person. I bet they've produced less than us. Yeah, per person. And I, I, think, I, I don't dispute their stats at all. I mean, yes, they have built a, a crap ton more... Um, fossil fuel plants like coal plants but they've done that to deal with they've done that to deal with their demand that, that's, that's the only stat that people talk about in terms of renewables they've actually massively invested in renewables they've got a crap ton of new renewable plants they've just realised like for it to be sustainable they need to keep on fossil fuels a bit longer until they can fully transition but the, the analogy I, I gave an, an analogy to somebody the other day about it I said uh, at the end of the day, say you're in a gang and you, you're robbing a bank, right? 
say you, you take a tiny amount of notes, but there's there's two people there in the gang who take absolutely crap tons. The police come in and raid the place, and as they try and arrest you, you point at these two people who took loads, and you say, oh, no, I've only taken a little bit. Look, look at those guys. Look at those guys. They took loads. At the end of the day, you've still broken the law. You know, you know what I mean? Like You're still in the wrong. You still should be doing something about it. So I hate the argument of, oh, uh, but look, there, there's so much worse than us. We, we only do a little bit, so we should do nothing at all. Uh, can, can we go back to the... Uh... The reverse on like the buying a buying a petrol diesel car by twenty thirty. Yes, because what what I find quite interesting is so the supposed plan is by twenty thirty you can either buy an electric hydrogen if you're in that sort of niche or hybrid, and yes. I find it quite interesting with hybrids. It's a lot like the bigger hybrids, the SUV kind. Their miles per gallon isn't that good compared to small, lightweight petrol cars. Mm. Like if you get like a large uh, hybrid SUV, it could probably like, do... I know near like my parents, parents has do, a, where we have a Toyota RAV4 yeah. plug-in hybrid. Which, to be what fair... What was the miles the, per gallon on that thing? Uh, to be honest, when it comes to using it, because it's a plug-in hybrid, majority of the time when my dad's driving, he is just using the electric motor first so he's not thinking about the miles per gallon per essence if that makes any sense so he's more but again with when you're in like an electric car or like a hybrid car it's a complete different mentality to driving because you're thinking about i don't know about other electric cars but in toyotas they always have like um they show like a score for your driving and like sustainability whatever <laughs> like it's weird but i can't really describe it it's weird but I've found with a lot of these large SUVs, their miles per gallon is still really good, but it's not too different from a small petrol hatchback. Like yeah. the pull, like the Polo's MPGs, like forty-three to fifty-four miles per gallon. If you go like the smaller kind, like the VW, I'm going to Google it now. The VW Up, it's something like yeah. Uh, get me to find this quick it's not gonna happen it's it's like 60 i remember it from top gear they are pretty good because they weigh practically nothing mm. right yeah yeah I'm, I'm so like that it's not it's not too dissimilar to a, a, a hybrid is what i'm saying yeah i i i, I understand that those points but i mean the thing is with the 2030 um which is the original policy the the idea was that i mean Somebody made uh, a very a very good point on Question Time um, the other day when I watched it last night. Um, they said the different, main difference between sort of electrics uh, and hybrids in one group and petrol and diesel in another is that each year, like every couple of years, yeah, you get, uh, you know, with petrol and diesel cars, you get a few upgrades, you know, you know little, little bits and pieces of tech inside, but it's not yeah. a massive overhaul oh. of the system. In terms of electric cars and hybrids, Within three years' time, it could be completely, completely um, changed. That, like, say, say, look at a five-year-old Tesla now and compare the um, the tech in it to the new ones. Compare all of like the, the you know the systems that they use and all the stats and stuff like that. It changes so quickly because obviously it's all computerized now. It's like computer chips, you know, like the evolution of the computer system, how quickly it changed. So 
the idea is that yes, they might not be amazingly economical right now, but by 2030, they were. You know, the hope is that they will be a lot more economical and they'll be a lot more viable. And that is definitely a possibility because, like you said, within a couple of years' time, electric vehicles change so much. Um, the chances are, you know, they could be much, much better than what they are right now. Yeah. But what, 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 yeah. what I was surprised at, though, well, I guess I'm not surprised at, is the main people who were behind, you know, who were really happy about this U-turn and about it being pushed back are sort of like the, these boomers and older people who never fully understand, understood the policy in the first place. They sort of saw it as an attack on their right to, oh, if I want to buy a petrol or diesel car, I want to buy a petrol or diesel car. But they, they didn't really, I think they all sort of thought that you had to have an electric-only car by 2030. That's not the case. It's you just can't have a diesel or petrol only car. So you can have hybrids and you can have Did, didn't electric you say the only. Policy, didn't, didn't you say the policy is you can't buy a brand new one by that? By that exactly, exactly. You can still buy an older one. And yeah, most, exactly. people this, most people in this country do buy older cars. Well, I was about to say that. It's, um, it's, it's just too expensive to buy brand new. Yeah. Well, I was about yeah. to say that. Uh, I can't remember her name, but a senior member of the Labour Party Shadow, Shadow Cabinet said that the other day. She said, I don't understand why people are so angry about it because the vast majority of people who buy cars in this country don't buy cars brand new. They buy second they hand. Buy second-hand. Yeah. So it, in, in reality, it doesn't really affect people as much as they think it does. So, I, I mean, I I'm, I feel the same as her. I, I'm almost sort of really confused as to why people are so angry about it and have so much emotion around it. It's like nobody's trying to take your cars away. You know, I mean, you only buy second-hand cars anyway. Well, we're talking I think about the worry um, comes... green policy. Uh, sorry, can I, just, can, can I just finish my point? Yeah. Uh, so I think a lot of the worry comes from a lot of these new ULEZ places, where once you enter this area, you're charged something like £15 for the privilege of going into this area. And at the moment, it's for like larger, very polluting vehicles, like old, like heavy diesel vehicles, lorries, crap like that. And I feel like a lot of people's worry is, it's a slippery slope. As, as, cl- as the years go by, they might change the goalposts from big plate diesel lorries to smaller petrol hatchbacks that can be fairly new and for mm. a lot of people it's just too expensive to completely replace just an electric car or an electric car is just not good enough for them i mean I, I, like, like the range is just too poor yeah. it's... i mean i mean again i i understand the point but I, again it's like what i said before and it's not massively the fault of people themselves i think a lot of the um responsibilities on the government and the way that they that they spin these things so yeah. what they did from the beginning with you the, the the government um have span it to make it look like it's a tax on people who use cars and a tax on poorer people where you even said it yourself there jake like the the actual if you look at the charts and the way it's charged the people that end up paying it it's like point five it's like less than five percent of car drivers because it's those people who drive like the absolute rust buckets it's not ordinary people who are driving a bmw or a mercedes it's someone who's driving a fucking car that's that was built in 1946 <laughs> like I, it's not uh, it's not a massive blanket policy and and the problem is the tories span it 
to make it look like it's some tax on ordinary people who drive, you know, petrol, diesel only cars when it, it, that's not true at all. I, I do understand the point about people being worried about it, the scope of it being increased. But again, there's no plans for that at all. It, it's just a complete lie from the government. Um, and they'll keep pushing it because it, I would I, I, I would I would say it's what the main reason why they managed to win in South Ricelip in the by-election because they attacked ULES and said, oh, it's a tax. It's... The ways they think they're going to be able to make points in this upcoming election. I mean... If it's over 40 years old, it's officially considered a historic vehicle, making them... Ooh. Free from paying ULEZ. I've seen a few people that had a wee jokey joke by driving a tank through. I honestly, my mind's just complete tomato soup right now. I don't know where, but it's happened. And I drove like an ancient tank through. Was it London or was it Glasgow? Even though it was London. Not London. Seen it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, fair enough, but I think my point still stands. It is but when you actually look at the data itself of, of how it's worked out, it's yeah. like it's nowhere near even twenty percent of car users. It's so such a low percentage. I don't even think it's near ten. I'm pretty sure it's below ten and yeah, close it's just... five. So when people people are screaming, crying about, it, and rightly so, because you know it's heartfelt and they believe it's going to affect them, but unfortunately they're misinformed. And again, that that's massively the fault of the government because they're purposefully spinning it to put fear into people. Same thing that the government's been doing for the past 13 years. They put fear into people about immigration. Oh, stop the boats, stop the boats, stop ULEZ, oh, ULEZ is a tax, oh, this and that. They they, they come out with with these simplistic statements that basically just scaremonger people and then people end up going, oh, I'm not going to vote for Labour because I don't want that new car tax. No, back back to the ULEZ thing. Doesn't it? A lot of people who are worried about are trade people who mm-hmm. have like larger vans. Yeah. They will be affected by it, won't they? Again, even so, it's a very small percentage, really small percentage. And and you forget as well, a lot of tradespeople um, work for you know these big sort of aid companies company vehicles a lot of them yes you do in the entire country and the cheapest transport system in the entire country most people have a tram station uh, a tube station within 10 minute walk of their house and they can get to the other side of london within two minutes so my argument again would be i fail to understand why people are so angry about it because even the tiny tiny percentage of people that would be paying this Really, in reality, there's not much need for a lot of these people to be making these car journeys in London when they have a brilliant public transport system that, like they do. If the, if you implemented ULEZ in Manchester, yes, Different I can understand story. why that's yeah. a bigger issue, and it's more and it's, it's you know people are more angry about that because we don't have that public. Oh my fucking god! System has been rolled out today in Bolton, which is good. That's a good step forward. But again, it's nowhere near London's transport system. You can get like on a bus want, in London like I, for uh, for one pound fifty for the entire city. 
So again, my argument would be the demand for using cars in London isn't as high as areas like Manchester. So I can't see why ULA's policy is affecting, uh, well, well, not affecting, but why so many people are angry about it. A lot of people, including me, will be worried about it spreading. But it spreading to areas like Manchester. Because we, we have fought back well, against like that clean air zone well, it, that you're trying to do, then yeah, it's, it's like, obviously under review like, at the moment. Like, yeah, like if it mm. does happen, and you're saying an alternative is public transport, well, frankly, just pathetic. Where yeah, you and I absolutely it's agree with pathetic. that. And, and, that, and that's, why, well, that's why... Constant I, I train cancellations. Also, mm. that do not go where you want. Like, if I want to go traffic... It is a non-issue. It's like 30... 30 Two and a bit hours, three hours. Mm. Pathetic. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And that's why, for me, I would not support a utilize in Manchester. I'm not, not saying that indefinitely, but I wouldn't support one until we have a public transport system and links like, like, like London. Until anything like that is in place, it's not a good idea. And I, and I fully stand by that. I, I do agree with you, Les. I think it's a good idea because things need to be done to reduce um, climate change and, and our effect on, on the world here in this country. And again, it's not just about climate change itself. It's about air pollution. Um, you know, tens of thousands of people die each year in this country because of air pollution. And you wouldn't think it. It sounds ridiculous to say, but it's true. So things do need to be done. And I would support it, but it's not. It's not right. a good idea to have anything like that here. Thing. It's a until, yeah, until yeah, in, until you have those transport links here, I, I don't think it should I, be implemented. Again, I, it's I kind of why the clean air zone thing is kind of under numbers. review in Manchester, and that makes sense. Like public transport up here is in general. As someone who's lived in London, it's completely different. Manchester's just mm. worse in terms of public transport. It is the worst. Mm. Uh, oh, the rates oh, are also oh, the day, there you go. Transport mm. for uh, for London controls the rates of tickets, etc. Which, to be fair, you did kind of mention it, and I think it was cut out in the recording. But um, that was introduced in Bolton just today, I think, or yesterday. Yes, it's, yeah, it's just yeah. been introduced. Today. Which is it's where fully TF, yeah, TFGM GM are controlling all the bus fares. So I'm hoping yeah. now, eventually, they're doing like a system where if you buy a ticket on the Metrolink, that applies to buses, because that is something that happens in that, Man- in London that, with like the. Tube. That is what I've read. Yeah, not all the fares are capped at two pounds maximum yeah. now as well, which is which brilliant. Is good. <laughs> Just on that air pollution, by the by the way, the stats for air pollution, between 28,000 and 36,000 people die every year in this country from air pollution, which is <laughs> ridiculous. You think, you think it's insane. You're like, well, we, we live in the UK. What do you mean? We have fucking trees everywhere. Like, like what the, like, how? But no, it's, it's true. We so, have, like, the lowest forest co- cover in Europe. Yeah, like, so, yeah, so, yeah, like yeah. trees. So, so like I said, for, for those those sorts of reasons, that's why I do support you, Les. But it has to be done responsibly, and I think in London it works because of their public, public transport, transport system. Links, in Manchester, yeah. until we have better public transport, no. But it's I, moving in the right direction. I've got a bit of a hot take on green policy. Uh, I kind of had this conversation with my dad and Jake, but it's basically, in essence, I don't think genuinely electric cars are the future. I think it's more of a thing with hydrogen. I don't know why, but Mm. the thing is, it's a tried and tested technology that we can develop. 
and for me i just don't think electric cars in general are just going to be the one sole solution to like um a carbon free world uh in that essence i i me and my dad think it's going to be a mix of hybrid electric and it's going to be hydrogen uh, and i think considering car companies like toyota and bmw are looking into hydrogen technology as an alternative to electric as well as well as petrol kind of shows that statement really mm. but, uh, i agree yeah. with that as well i mean even just on the point of the facts you know very simply people like having choices yeah and if you're only limited to electric or hybrid you know I know it sounds silly, but but people get fed up. People like having a wide range of choices. Yeah. Uh, so I think even just for that simple reason, it's good to have those those different modes of transport there for people to choose. Or else people people get very frustrated in this country very quickly when yeah. they feel like they're backed into a corner and they're forced to do things they don't want to do. Which is so why I'm good kind of excited about it. I mean, I'm probably the biggest BMW fanboy on on the planet, but like. They introduced it at Goodwood Festival of Speed. They did it at like a golfing tournament, talking about how hydrogen technology could be a potential use in the future. So that's something I'm excited about in general. Because, mm. um, yeah, it, yeah. I, I just the thing with electric, in my opinion, is you're going to the the issue is just going to be trying to improve range. And I think mm. with hydrogen, that is a possible way to solve that as an issue because mm. you could have an electric car for like an urban setting let's say you're traveling to like the shops or whatever but let's say you're doing a long distance drive that is something that could be fixed with like a hydrogen car mm. i mean just, just stay just to stay on the um green policy a yeah. little bit longer but move a bit away from the cars more into in terms of economy wise one of the, one of the main issues that i have with this u-turn is the fact that um, even by pushing it back, uh, you know, it is only five years, but by pushing that back, um, it creates a lot of uncertainty for big for big business. Yeah. Um, you know, from what I've um, read into, a lot of the major car manufacturers, including Ford, who have actually spoke out and, you know, they're very angry about the, the U-turn, but Ford, Toyota, Hyundai, all these massive car companies, they're not, they, they were, my understanding is they were ready for the 2030 um mm. 2030 deadline you know they were making all of these advances in this in this technology and making adjustments and now they're annoyed because you know it's been pushed back another five years and and the, the problem is i know rishi sunak has said oh well it's in line with all these other countries you know france germany blah 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 right that may sound good on the face of it but if we were doing it before them it then entices these companies to invest in our country because we're the first ones to do it. Why mm. shouldn't we be leaders yeah. in this sort of technology? And by pushing it back to the same year as all these other com- countries are doing it, it's it's you know that that those opportunities for investment from these massive car companies just goes because they mm. think, well, bugger you now, you know we we were ready for it, and now you've pushed it back. We were ready for this, and so what we're going to do now? We could have had all, such massive investment from these companies, um, and it's just wasted. And I think that another thing with with the green policy as well is just look at the opposition benches. One of the biggest policies from Labour, which they've actually had for the past three years now, brilliant policy that I agree with, is Labour's warm homes plan, which was to do with energy efficiency. Um, and it the idea was to insulate millions and millions of people's houses uh, yeah. under government funding, um, which... 
the Conservatives are against for whatever reason, but uh, at the end of the day, not only does it make our country more uh, greener and more efficient, it brings people's energy bills down. Because if your house is insulated much more than what it is now, I mean, some houses aren't insulated at all, you know, to a a great extent at all. But if your house is, is insulated, you're not putting the heating on as often. You're not spending as much money on, on your gas or electric. And the um, energy bills are one of the biggest hitters for people at the moment, the cost of living crisis. Yeah. For me, it just seems like a no-brainer policy. You know, insulate people's homes, their bills come down, we, we, we meet our green targets, it ticks all the boxes. I mean, it's probably for whatever the reason fact- that the... It's probably to do mm. with the fact that the Conservatives are backed by massive energy companies that do want to basically charge us more money mm. for using energy that's probably the reason why and it wouldn't surprise yeah, me if that's the case of course but there's there's a lot of there's a lot of easy wins that the government could have had over the past few years and they've just whether I, you know i don't want to really comment on it but i don't know whether it's a case of it's incompetence they've not really thought of it or whether it's their political choice that they don't want to do it you know things like um solar panels uh you know with all the new build houses that that, that, they're, that they're constructing especially council houses why isn't it government policy to put solar panels on all new council houses and on all new houses? Why is that not policy? Yeah. Because for me, that just seems like a, a no-brainer. You know, we, uh, you know, people don't like the eyesores of onshore wind farms and stuff like that. Right, so why aren't we putting solar panels on all the new houses that we build? That just seems like an easy fucking policy to roll out. You know, in terms of money... Um, there's ways around it in terms of funding. You don't have to fund it all through government funding. You can have private contractors doing it. You know, make it law that they have to put it on their new builds. Why hasn't that been done? Again, I mean, it's, fun uh, fact it's an easy the, win. Uh, fun fact with um, solar panels is um, if you do produce energy through solar panels, the energy companies do sometimes pay you back, mm-hmm. which, again, is something that should be enticing this government to do something. But, it, you know, yeah. again, it's probably to do with the fact that they are backed by these massive energy corporations. Oh, well, I mean... Um... <laughs> That, that's why we saw Rishi Sunak not, uh, only a couple of months back um, handing out hundreds and hundreds of new um, gas and oil contracts to, uh, to these massive companies because they are some of the biggest donors to the Conservative Party that you will find. Yeah. It is it's pure cronyism. It's lobbying. <laughs> yeah. Yep. What are you saying, Jake? I was going uh, to say, I, I don't really like people using all these like green policies i don't like the term green policies it's not really green it's just less damaging it's like instead of me hitting you with a with a sledgehammer i'm going to hit you with a baseball bat it's less damaging so you can survive a bit longer what we should be doing is trying to you know increase forest cover and rewild some parts of england because we're like uh total forest cover in this country is 10 percent hmm uh, Wales is a bit better at 15 and Scotland at 19 we're the lowest forest cover in the entire, in the entire EU and I think it'd be nice if we just planted a bit more trees yeah <clears throat> I mean uh, I don't know just a simple thing it'll just be nice I get your point to be honest it's like rather than limiting damage you know, maybe, maybe we should look at trying to um, sort of replenish and improve our environment. Yeah, and I, I, I absolutely well, we agree. Or can reduce the amount of carbon carb we produce, or how about we put a thing that eats it for breakfast? I don't know. Could be a good idea. 
Yeah, I mean, on top of the the sort of renewable green. I know we are planting um, tree. I know we are planting trees. Sorry, we have a few mm. pots of planted a certain amount of trees by a certain amount of time. Yeah, but it's still a bit crap. It's not really. Yeah, there. I agree. Wow. Well, that was a uh, that was a big topic, anyway, wasn't it? <laughs> green policy, in a but, it, but it, it, it is it is something <laughs> that that is talked about a lot at the moment in the media. It's you know, a lot, of, like I said, a lot of people get angry about it. And I, I do think a big part of it is that people don't fully understand the policies that people are putting forward. Yeah. Um, and and like I said, a lot of that does come from the media and the government spinning it, uh, which unfortunately we've seen a lot of over the past 13 years. Okay. Uh, Topics-wise, uh, do you want to move on to basically what's happening with Russell Brand? That's a yeah, hot, juicy yeah, absolutely. one. Absolutely. So, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, go on. So, long story short of it, basically, Russell Brand, uh, British comedian, uh, pretty much what's happened now kind of links to Me Too and, you know, feminism in general. But uh, basically, there's been a bunch of rape allegations against him uh, made by basically people in the past that have met him or, or had a, some form of a relationship with him. Uh, will probably trigger some, like, funny Andrew Tate people at this rate, but... <laughs> Yeah, if what's being said is true, yeah, I can understand that. If it's more the case that it's more like cancel culture, which is terrifying at the same time, it is, I don't know, I don't know where to start with this, but it's a broad topic with like sexual assault allegations and rape allegations, because it it can be turned turned into witch hunting. Mm. I mean, mean, one one thing I would say about it is... is, um... It, it's one of these things it, it, it seems like a common theme over the past few years these sort of things come out and I, I'm not going to lie you know it, it's innocent until proven guilty but it, yeah. again it's one of them where you just think well how did nobody see this coming if you've ever watched any of his shows or any of his videos or anything like that back when he was a comedian um, before he started doing all these conspiracy theories bullshit um, it's it's extremely vulgar and vul- the, the vulgar you know, so the language he uses isn't—it's not the problem because you know I like watching Jimmy Carr and yeah, uh, Frankie Carr. Ball. They're both very vulgar, but it was more the the content of what he was saying. It was very, very sort of risky, and, and you look back and you think, oh, well, that's not funny. You know, the sort of yeah. jokes he made about rape and stuff like that, and comments he made saying about things he got his assistant to do, and it's—you just think, well, how did nobody spot this? Surely it's not possible, and nobody saw this coming. Um, yeah. Especially the sort of the big news, uh, the big corporations like BBC and ITV and Channel Four who hired him for years and years. Surely you've got to think, you know, same with the Philip Schofield thing with Jimmy Savile. Somebody knows, you know, there's always somebody who knows that it's going on, and I refuse to believe that nobody had any inkling at all that he'd yeah. done anything wrong. Um, but, but my other thing I'd say though is, although I say that and I have. You know, quite a bad opinion of him, and I do believe the accusations are true. One issue that I have is, you know, the corporations like YouTube and Rumble rushing to immediately demonetize him and basically hide him from the platforms before he's even had a day in court. Because I, I do, yeah. dis- I do disagree with that, um, and it is that sort of cancel culture. Fair enough, people have allegations against them, but. At the end of the day, he doesn't do anything else. That that his is that is his source of income. Those videos that he puts out, yeah. And to stop someone's 
income flow yeah. with, with a switch with a flip, flip of a switch because of some allegations I think is wholly wrong and I think that sort of power shouldn't be in the hands of those um, th- those sort of CEOs of, of Google and Rumble it should be elsewhere I'm not entirely sure where but it should be elsewhere you uh, shouldn't have the power to stop somebody's money flow like that before yeah. anything has even been heard in court I, I think it's yeah. wholly unfair because I think for What's me my Rumble? issue with it it's a streaming platform I think yeah because I what? think my... yeah I'll do it because I think for me, my issue with it is it's just in cancel culture in general. It, it seems mm. to be more about, yeah, you, you've mentioned innocent until proven guilty, but when it comes to cancel culture, it's more like trial by public image or whatever it's called. It is. It absolutely it, is. And it, it, it it's damaging. It, it really is. Again, it can it can ruin anyone's career. Hell, it could ruin mine. It could ruin mm. yours. It, it just takes one yeah. allegation, even if it's false, to just ruin mm. someone's public image. And, and I think I think yeah. what's made it worse as well. Not only have the companies done this, the governments um, that the cabinet member for culture, uh, media, and sports um, has apparently written very strong, strongly worded letters to all of these companies that he works with, sort of like YouTube, Rumble, all these platforms. Yeah. Uh, actually, um, sort of writing it almost in a blackmailing sort of way to make these companies, you know, to get these companies to put these restrictions on him and to stop his money uh, and basically say, you know, if not, you have the full force of the UK government behind you. I think that's completely wrong. Um, that the government shouldn't, and no cabinet minister should be writing to these companies to basically almost force them into a corner where they have to go, oh, well, you know, he's not had his day in court, he's not had the allegations, you know, investigated yet, but, um, you know, we're, we're going to force them into stopping his livelihood and his money. I yeah. think that's completely wrong and it sends the wrong message. I'm quite surprised that it's happened as well because the Conservatives um, do, you know, historically do seem to be very against cancel culture. Um, mm. I think probably more so because they tend to be uh, the ones on the uh, on the bad end of the stick because they do tend to put out and like a lot of very dodgy tweets now and again. Um, oh, like that time where a Conservative MP was watching uh, pornography in the House of Commons. <laughs> or the, or the, uh, or the Conservative candidate for the London mayoral election um, liking and sharing posts quoting Enoch Powell, uh, which is interesting. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm quite surprised. Quite, yeah, quite surprised that, 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 that quite surprised that surprised that the uh, Conservative cabinet minister has as uh, forwarded those letters to those companies. Uh, can you give context to that Enoch previous Powell, person you mentioned? Yeah. You, you know, Enoch, do you not know Enoch Powell is Nero? Uh, I don't think I have, but I mean, it does help for giving context oh, wow. to listeners as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, Enoch. Think of Nigel Farage, but think incredibly more outspoken and disgustingly racist. Enoch Powell was um, out and about in the uh, sort of 1930s, 1940s uh, in Britain. He was an MP. Um, he, hey. to the best of my knowledge, he created the British Union of Fascists. Um, oh. So he has links he, to Oswald Mosley, is pretty much what you're saying. Yes, so, yeah, he had, yeah. A, he had a very famous speech. It's what he's most famous for, called Rivers of Blood, Rivers of Blood speech, um, which was probably one of the most racist and disgusting speeches you'd ever read or hear in your life 
um it was really really bad and he, he was sort of responsible responsible for inciting a lot of hatred towards a lot of minorities in this country so he's seen as a very hated hated uh person and he was a member British of the history. conservative party and he was a conservative mp so it's one of them where you know it's like it's basically the same as quoting oswald mosley uh, if not worse so very very bad that's come out from from this uh this lady who wants to be the next mayor of London. Um, it was actually Hope Not Hate that um, investigated it and put it out in the public sphere. So who are kind of well yeah. known for exposing a lot of like what happens yeah. with the far yeah, right in the work. UK. But yeah, so I was quite surprised at that that they were the ones anyway that were like, oh, you know, he needs to be cancelled by well. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's an interesting situation. Like I said, we'll have to see. You wait and see what happens with it but and again we can't really say much because no no if we take a stance on it well t- to be fair james you already kind of said that but like i don't personally have a stance on it it's that's just my, if, if it's opinion, the but, allegations yeah. prove true that yeah i i told it against him that he's a rapist but like mm-hmm. going out and just like going after him and saying he's a rapist without having any any evidence is just ridiculous it's I'm taking this from the law student perspective, basically, that someone is yeah. pr- someone is guilty if you prove them to be guilty of them doing those certain acts. But ag- again, at the same time, for me, it's like wh- one p- part of me is saying, why these why did these people not say this earlier, like with the rape allegations? But then at the same time, if you think about it from the perspective of a rape victim, it's very difficult. To mm. talk about it and you know come well, out and say it if I'm, I mean, wouldn't do it for you. Well, exactly. And even if you look at the statistic point of view, uh, less than I think it's less than two percent of um, less than two percent of um, perpetrators of rape actually go to prison. Yeah, less than two percent. And, and I, I think, think it's around fi- I think it's around fifty percent of rapes like, aren't, aren't even reported. So I, I I understand I understand when people go oh well, why didn't they report it sooner I get yeah. it I know some people say it in a hateful way they're trying to get at victims but at the end of the day I think there's a lot of basis uh, a lot of reason behind not reporting stuff because if you just look at it factually you, you would it would be difficult to think that there's any any point report anything when the stats are so terrible I think the issue as well is if you're a rape victim you, like. Uh, and you're forced to go into court. You're not exactly safeguarded, are you? Like, you know, no. the the the, uh, the defense is probing you for questions, and you, you know, you're going to be put on the spot. It's it's going to be like you trying to retell an awful traumatic event. It's not. Mm. It, again, it's an issue with our justice system and how it works. So, that's yeah, another absolutely. perspective on it. <laughs> Which, to be fair, it's something I completely agree with. Like. We should be doing more for rape victims in general, or like victims of sexual abuse, sexual assault, because the way how the justice system works is very adversarial. It is not nice. It is mm. it is very, very like filthy when it comes to like uh, you know trying to batter out points basically to try and win. That's what it feels like. And yeah, that's my absolutely. On it. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see what the outcome is. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if any of you... A quick rundown, though, James, because you're in the Labour Party. Uh, what do we currently have in terms of policies? Because I know we've kind of talked about immigration and uh, public spending, but I'm just wondering what the broad strokes of the, 
that are mm. really if that makes any sense yeah i mean it, it's difficult i mean I, I understand when people are getting annoyed because um obviously with, with, with like question time prime minister's questions and all that kind of stuff people tend to see it as we're attacking the tories all the time but we're not yeah. proposing any policy i understand that um but that is it that's normal for this time of year uh, mainly because it's conference season, so it's Labour Party co- annual conference uh, this month, yeah. and and that is where all of Labour's policies are uh, created and the manifesto is written. So I think people need to remember that uh, you know we don't have a manifesto at the moment, neither do the Tories, um, and and our manifesto policies will be created and debated on this month. So after this month, it'll be a lot easier to figure out Labour's stance on things, and yeah. be, we'll be able to look at some actual policy. There are some little snippets, little bits and bobs that have come out recently. I know, that um, Starmer was in France, so he was meeting with uh, members of the French government there. So I think one of them was, uh, in terms of policies, kind of... But I think it's more of a commitment, really, was if there's asylum seekers in France, Labour will try and take a somewhat proportion of that. Which, mm. to be fair, considering how this government has been treating asylum seekers, I'm taking this from an outside perspective but also trying to be very cautious with what I'm saying just on the basis of <laughs> home office job coming up but um, <laughs> yeah it it's not the nicest messaging is the best way I can say it unless someone wants to elaborate on what I, I've just I've, said but, I think it's yeah. uh, I think it's very similar to their messaging on net zero and ULAS and stuff like that Yeah, they're using very simplistic but very sort of hateful language um even if it's not on the face of it hateful it's i think the the the, my personal opinion is that they write it and report it in a certain way to incite uh fear and anger and hatred towards immigrants and i do think that they've success that you know have succeeded in that quite a lot um especially from my experience i've canvassing a lot in the past couple of months uh some people i've spoke i've had the uh, unpleasant experience of speaking to on a doorstep uh, who have been shouting at me about immigration and this and that basically just quoting the government's lines mm. it, it works it does work on certain people and, it, and it's, it's terrible because it's not based on facts it's based completely on feeling and it's a com- and you know people are having this completely irrational fear of um, some strange sort of society that if Labour come into power there's going to be uh, you know, entire countries of people uh, next door to you, and it, and you know, all the jobs are going to go, and the yeah. economy is going to be crash, and they're all going to be getting nice five bedroom houses on <laughs> on us, and free cars, and this and that, and um, it's it's ridiculous. But like I'll I said, say it's, this from the perspective of first generation immigrant, because I, I, I can actually can say this perspective. Um, yeah, a majority of the jobs that the people in this country, particularly the white anglo-saxon types tend to not want to do tend to be the jobs that migrants tend to take up which is pretty ironic i mean hell when's the last person i've talked to uh you know from you know from the working class background wants to be a nurse in the nhs no one does because everyone knows the working conditions are awful so and 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 that's a very important point as well because um you know the the government's been pushing all of this sort of rhetoric about yeah. they're going to cost us so much money. They're basically making it seem like they come over here, 
uh, immediately like they're on benefits they're getting free houses they're getting free cars they're not contributing and stuff it's not the case uh yeah especially like you said with the nhs um the nhs statistics 50 percent 50 percent of nhs positions are held by non-british um born citizens 50%. Yeah. That's half of the NHS. And again, that's how reliant you are for like nursing. You're relying on exactly. countries like where exactly. my parents are from, the Philippines, or places like Nigeria, because they have an excess of people that are trained in medicine. Again, no one in the UK wants to go into medicine just on the basis of how bad the working conditions are are mm-hmm. and how bad uh, the pay is. Cause, yeah, um, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so again, yeah, why it's, would it's... anyone here in this country want to become a nurse? Hence why you're more so reliant on a migrant workforce immigrant yeah. workforce absolutely and i said this to, to a lady i spoke to on the doorstep um she said oh you know the, the dosses they're going to come over and claim benefits so she was like oh and i said well no they're going to come over and you know they're going to get jobs and contribute to the economy she's like what jobs they're not going to get jobs they're just lazy they do nothing Doctors, else. And, I, and i explained nurses, to her about the nhs surgeons, and I said, you know the jobs I, I, that people yeah. don't want to take up here well, 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 I said to her, when was the last time you went to Bolton Hospital? She said, oh, uh, quite a while ago. I said, well, you know, you know, I obviously look don't want you to, but if, yeah. if you end up going up to Bolton Hospital, just have a look around. You know, the receptionist uh, might be Polish, your surgeon might be French, your nurse might be German. Yeah. You know, like every every person, you, you, you sometimes you struggle when you go into the NHS to find somebody who's, yeah. um, you know, sort of white British born and that's 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 something to be proud of at the end of the day you know these people come over here and they absolutely graft and they look after our elderly and our sick people and yet yeah our policy well the government's policy is just to close all of the safe routes into the country uh and push this rhetoric that um you know migrants are this massive burden and, and all they do is come over here and they, they just take and they don't give anything back and it's yeah it's I very mean, the insulting. irony with like very asylum insulting. claims and how they usually work is what when the Home Office values someone based on whether they should stay in this country or not, it usually is just on economic factors, i.e. are they going to contribute to the economy. And, and mm. majority of the time, the people that are accepted in this country are tend to be skilled labourers regardless. So, yeah, it, it, I think it's just more to do with the rhetoric and the messaging. It's, it's very dangerous, very dangerous rhetoric. And they know yeah. what they're doing, and I fully believe that. They know what they're doing when, when they write things in that certain way. They know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I fully believe that the Conservatives have been um, trying to start a culture war, and I do believe that because uh, it, it, it will be something that will help them in a general election scenario. You know, this mm. sort of cultural. And like I said, I've seen the effects of it already when I've been out on the doorstep talking to people. This is a very dangerous shift to the right. Like we've yeah. seen it in America. It is happening in America. Like there's a reason why Trump got elected. It was like. The Republican mm. Party shifting mm. even more right, taking a more nationalist um, rhetoric, mm. and uh, you could make the same argumentation here. Really, I mean, we've seen Boris Johnson for crying out loud get elected, uh, become prime yeah, minister. It's insane. Sorry, not elected because um, we don't actually pick him as prime minister. It's the Conservative Party that does that. Cool oh, actually, fact. no, no. He, he he was one of the only ones we've had in the past couple of years that we did elect. But we didn't elect it's, Liz Truss. It's the other three we didn't elect. We, 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 we didn't oh, elect Liz bad, Truss. We didn't elect Liz Truss, and we didn't elect Rish, Rishi Sunak either. Yeah. Sorry, uh, sorry, sorry. How much did we lose because of Liz Truss? How much um, money did we lose because of I her think, decisions? Was it thirty nine? Was it thirty nine billion? Huh. And and that was from her so mini budget. So I wonder what her big budget would have been. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, while we're talking about policies, can we, can we talk about what her? 
whole economic strategy was, which was her policy. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. It's um, both of you. Uh, uh, I'm trying to find the wording for it. Shanghai on the Thames. I'm not sure if you've heard that thrown about before, but it's basically... She's an absolute charlatan. She she was she was saying stuff when she was when she was prime minister. She was saying stuff in speeches like uh, how she was angry about uh, the fact that uh, as a country we were importing so much cheese from cheese producing countries and we should be making our own. Like, what the fuck is that about? And about how uh, about how how we have such great pork markets? Like, what what are you actually talking? Oh, oh. Talking at your ass? <laughs> Shanghai on the Thames, by the way. But but but, but fun, funny. Well, not not even funny. Because of the um, massive, massive repercussions of her mini budget, which basically is the entire reason for the cost of living crisis. Less I fair. You know, you, you, yeah. yeah, you know the lettuce that beat her out of office, right? Oh yeah, that was funny. Because of the cost of living crisis, because of her, the lettuce that beat her <laughs> in terms of her days in office, um, a year on today, well not today, but a couple of weeks ago, a year on, uh, costs twenty percent more. Than what it did when it beat her because of the cost of living crisis and because of the actions of her fucking mini budget it's which by the way is just laissez fair economics and trying to model ourselves over shanghai uh, not shanghai crafty, singapore economy. singapore on the thames yeah. that's the words i'm looking for which is very but, stupid because it's laissez fair economics and it yeah i don't know what they were trying to achieve with that budget but yeah her, her and quasi kwarteng who was her chancellor for about yeah. three seconds is <laughs> um he is almost the shortest lived chancellor ever in the history of this country the only reason he isn't is because there was a chancellor um hundreds of years ago who ended up being the shortest lived chancellor purely only because he died whilst he was chancellor that's the only reason why quasi kwarteng isn't the shortest lived chancellor because somebody literally fucking died Whilst doing the job whilst before in him. office, doing their job, I don't well, even think yeah. that should count. I don't think that should count. I think they should scrap that so he's the shortest lived one. Because <laughs> I think I think that's shortest living. If you, if you yeah, if you, I think if you yeah. yeah, I think if you die in office, it shouldn't count as shortest lived. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, yeah. it's uh, it's I I, I, don't know. I mean we, we we've gone back to the immigration policy. Yeah, I mean it, it, it is ridiculous. Um. Because obviously, push all this stuff about illegal immigration and stuff. When you actually look at the the facts, it, it's astounding to think that people don't look into this and people just take it that their, their, their word at face value. And I think after thirteen years, you really trust what they say at face value. You know, when they talk about all these illegal immigrants uh, coming over here, Jake well, talked well, about well, well, this. Well, pra- like... pra- honestly, practically almost all migration into this country now is illegal migration yeah because the because the conservative government has literally closed and people don't believe it but they've closed down almost every single safe one of that's another closed down every single safe route into this country every legal route so the only way so when people say oh well i don't know why they come over illegally why don't they go through the proper process do it legally well what i say to that is it, it show me a legal route they don't exist they closed them all down. I it's, think Jake talked oh, about this. Yeah. I want the backlog. It's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's stupid. But it just just think about it. It's like, oh, um, oh yes, we, we'd love you to come over here and work in an NHS. Uh, yes, just just uh, make sure you apply apply legally. I mean, you know, we'll get you in here and work in NHS. Oh, also, by the way, we've closed all the, Ill- the legal routes. Oh, so how am I meant to come over here now then? Uh, you can't. 
but, but, but I'm fleeing war. Oh, you have to do it legally then. And then we'll, we'll put you in a detention camp, break your human rights 30 times in five months, as has been reported in the Gatwick Detention Center. Uh, try and send you off to a third world country, uh, wasting all the money along the way, which has now been uh, ruled have, illegal have by they, the courts. Have that Either they're, they're still trying to put it. It's in the courts at the moment, but the courts initially yeah, said no. Court. They said it's illegal, and now they're appealing it to the courts again. So they're still trying to do it, but it's on hold at the moment because the courts literally turned around and said it's inhumane, it's yeah. it's illegal, you can't Jay, do it. I, I, I was to... genuinely surprised when I read that in an article. I was yeah. like, is this real? Do we... Really? You're, you're, gen- you're but, surprised that the Conservative tried to push an illegal policy? I mean, I was just reading through the article thinking, oh, that's a that's an interesting development in technology. Oh, Britain's just shifting off a, a boatload of people to Rwanda. I mean, Jake... you know what? You know what's ridiculous though with that policy. Um, obviously, the whole point where they're going to fly them over there and basically drop them off in Rwanda. The only, the only person who has been over to Rwanda on a plane, no, no, no illegal immigrants, was um, Liz Truss herself, uh, and that costed a hundred and ten thousand pounds. For one, one plane flight. trip, and and that's what they worked one the cost out at. So it was gonna cost it was gonna cost them a hundred and ten thousand pounds per immigrant to send over there by plane. Bear in mind, they you look at the back. They spent a hundred grand on trust Rwanda. How much yeah. is an easy jet flight though? Yeah, but, but 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 bear in mind, right? The backlog of elite of, of well quote unquote illegal immigrants in this country is thousands, and it was gonna cost the government a hundred and ten thousand pounds to send each one individual there that's <laughs> billions of pounds surely wait i thought they called conservatives shouldn't they be you know conserved oh 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 no no you're right on that uh just not our money just not the taxpayers money just their own money and their friends money oh uh, jake to put your question in perspective on the backlog uh as part of one of the uh, few people that have been hired into the Home Office, do you know how many people they've hired in the Home Office? It's around 600 people to deal with the backlog. I'm one of those 600 new people in the Home Office. Uh, I kind of talked about this while we are at the gym, on, ironically. Ta- What's like the target they want to get so they can actually deal with this backlog? Uh, yes, there like- is no... There is no answer that the government has given. I think think their target was, it's currently at, I think, 1,500, is it? And they want to get it to 2,000? Probably. I believe that's their target. Yeah. That's a bad one. Labour's target, so, so like I said, Labour's released this policy uh, before conference on immigration. Um, What they want to do is they want to keep the target that the Conservatives have set, so they, they're they still going to hire an extra 500 to get it up to 2,000. So I'm but one of on those 500, of, yeah. But then on top of that, they're also going to hire an extra 1,000 on top of the of the existing target. Mm. So they're going to increase it massively again, uh, which I think is the right thing to do, because that's, that's the main issue. The issue isn't, and I explain this to people on the doorstep, uh, people are because of the government's rhetoric. People have this idea that there's hundreds upon hundreds of people um, sailing over here by the second. Simply not true. The the, the 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 immigration figures for this country are not what the government are, are trying to explain that they are. They're not masses yeah. and masses of people just storming in. The issue is the backlog, not yeah, the new people coming. It's the backlog. 
you sort out the backlog and you actually end up dealing, uh, sorting out a lot of the issues with the immigration system. That are currently ongoing, so I think that's good yeah. from Labour to, to go, you know what, we'll keep their target, but you know what, we're going to hire an extra thousand on top of that as well. Yeah, home office, like, asylum. Home office is going to be yeah. fucking massive. I, f- I genuinely think the home office, like, well, behind the DWP, is probably going to be the second largest department in the government uh, in the next three years. Mm. I mean... Mm. Uh, Jake, to put you in perspective as well, because we were talking about how the government's policies are illegal, uh, I kind of talked about it, but it's one of the reasons why the government legal department has been so busy over the past 13 years is pretty much just the Conservatives trying to push on certain policies and seeing if it works, if they can get through a legal framework, pretty much. Yeah. That's kind of why the government legal department And then, and then the, the government department legal department has to go, uh, actually, no, that's illegal for like every... F- third policy that they give <laughs> yeah. actually no you can't do that that's illegal yeah but um no what were the interesting things about labor hire, wanting to hire an extra thousand on top of the target mm. um not only that but they're going to change the um the way that those people are hired yeah. so they're actually going to be uh what you call it they're going it to be, be easier because you have you seen not, my application no, process well, 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 I, I don't know about easier but they're actually going to be upping the standards for the, those thousand that they're going to hire. Oh, so into the home going... office to deal with asylum. Uh, yes. Applications. So, so they're actually. I think they're going to because obviously you have different gradings for home office jobs, don't you? Like executive, yeah. executive officer, admin, assistant, all that kind of I'm stuff. Part of admin, they go. Yeah. They're going to bump it up. I think at least one. So those the extra thousand that will be hired by labour if they get in will be. Uh, much more specialised and much more skilled and qualified for the job, which is good as well. It's not just a yeah. case of, oh, we're just throwing bodies at it. Uh, they're also going to make sure that these are people who have got, you know, good, decent qualifications to do the role properly, which I think is really important. And I'm saying um, this from a perspective that someone, for context, I basically have a provisional offer with the Home Office. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will be working in, like, asylum, immigration and asylum specifically. Uh, long story short, basically the job I got is an apprenticeship scheme. So for 12 months, I'll be trained to do the actual job. And then they're expecting me to deal with like asylum claims specifically. But mm. long story short, I'm just waiting for the security clearance to come through. And then once that's done, I'm gone from my current I'm, insurance job. I'm, I'm, I'm doing similar at the moment. I, yeah. I don't know if I told you I'm um, taking a job as a, a call handler for the ambulance service. And I've had to fill out, and I've got an advanced DBS check um, that I had to fill out. So I'm waiting for that to clear as well. So it's a bit and, similar. Yeah, it and takes to be fair, it takes time. forever to deal with anything yeah. government related because the checks they have to do is ridiculous. Yeah, but um, you know, it, it, just to go delve a bit deeper into the labour policy, yeah, yeah, some really interesting stuff that I read in it. Um, so a, a lot of their policy is aimed at dealing with the source of the issue which is the criminal gangs and people Smuggling, traffickers yeah. who, are, uh, who, who are facilitating the travel yeah. in the first place which i think is uh i think it's just a no-brainer i think that's just a logical way to approach it rather than what why you know why should you be dealing with people when they get here why not deal with the source you know the root of the issue which is which makes logical yeah, sense people. um so the reason why we've seen all these videos and pictures of um, of Keir Starmer over there in France with other uh, you know prominent figures in the Labour Party is because their policies that they're going to be working a lot closer with Europol, mm. which I think is a really good idea. 
Um, the Tories again have span it to make it look like they what we want to be closer with the European Union, uh, which makes no sense because Europol uh, is you know isn't really linked to the European Union. It's it's a separate it's like entity. Saying the European Council is part um, of the EU, but it isn't. Yeah, but 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 Europol itself is not. It's not an EU institution. It, it's it's just a, a European body uh, of police and organisations that work in conjunction together. Um, so it's a complete lies again from the Tories on that one. Yeah. But I think it's a really good policy. And um, and what they're going to be doing, is, one of the first things they're going to be doing is they're going to be seeking a new security agreement with uh, Europol and with European countries to deal with the criminal gangs. Uh, so that, that sort of includes stuff like having a system where they can have real-time data and intelligence sharing between countries on suspects. So the example at the moment is that, say, uh, somebody who's being tracked by Italian police, for example, who has links to people smuggling um, and drugs and firearms, if they came into the UK, whether it's through uh, plane or whatever, um, currently that information would not be flagged to UK police forces. Not but at all. under this new agreement, it would. Under this new agreement, it would, and it would be in real time. So if somebody was being investigated by a European police force for human trafficking, people smuggling drugs, firearms, yeah. any serious offence like that, as soon as they enter our country, our police and security services will know about it. Ideally, actually, I think in some cir- circumstances, they'd probably know beforehand because of plain manifests and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, which is brilliant because then obviously provisions can be put in place to deal with those people even before they, they get on a plane to this country. Um, so I think that's really important. Um, and what, one of the other things is that he's going to be, well, going, they're going to be, um, what do you call it, uh, sort of giving a lot more UK police officers and po- posting them to Europol to coordinate with the other forces there. So we've got more bodies there in Europol. So we've got a bigger say to deal with this sort of stuff. Um, but in terms of the real-time tracking of people that was going on about them, the thing that goes hand-in-hand hand in it uh, with it is they're going to be strengthening civil orders. Um, so at the moment, the police have things called serious crime prevention orders, which uh, I've actually seen myself when I was a cop. Um, but they're going to be strengthening them which means that organizations like the National Crime Agency will um, will be able to put restrictions on people even before they enter our country. Yeah. So stuff like um, their use of communications, bank accounts, travel, and ownership of use of and use of vehicles. So say somebody gets flagged up by a Euro- uh, European country for any of these offenses, if we know they're coming to the UK the UK National Crime Agency can actually put a stop to this person's bank accounts or stop them from travelling or even stop their mobile phones and stuff like that. Yeah. So some real powerful legislation coming in there for our police and security services, mm. which will really get to the root of those problems, I think. Which is more um, to do with the fact with asylum, like people trying to get into this country just tends to be through illegal routes anyway and means... Yeah, exactly, and like as I explained before, that that's mainly because all these safe and legal routes have been have been stopped by the government. So you know, it is difficult. There's not really much uh, any other option for for people yeah. because of what the government's done. Um, 
And uh, yeah, but, but I mean, like so there's, there's a lot of stuff that I've seen from the policy so far. I'm, I'm sure it'll be updated, and you know they'll, they'll add some more stuff to it. But very interesting so far, and it's good to see them taking a strong approach on it. Um, I mean, what I would like to see as well after conference, hopefully, I'm hoping it comes into the manifesto, um, that Labour will open up the safe and legal routes again. Mm. Because I think even that in itself will stop a lot of the illegal immigration. Because if people have safe and legal routes open to them, well then, you know, if they're legitimate asylum seekers or, or legitimate immigrants, um, once it comes to this country for legitimate reasons then you know obviously then they're going to use those safe and legal routes there'll be no need for them to pay ten thousand euros to a, a people smuggling guy yeah. and get on the boat so it, it's it's nice to see they're not just a, it, well the tories what all they've done really is just they've not proposed anything they've just got oh, stop the boat stop the boat whereas labor um are attacking this from all angles you know the root of the problem um Dealing with the backlog itself, hiring a crap ton of not 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 just hiring a crap ton of new workers, but people who are really you know, sort of skilled for the job. Yeah, and I think that's the best way to do it. It's not and it's not simple fix. It's not something where you can just turn around and say, "Oh, there's one thing that we can do that will fix it all." Is something you know, like Labour's doing, trying to deal where with you need to attack it in a number of diff- number of different ways. So. Yeah, I'm excited to see what what stuff comes out at conference. What other policies come into the manifesto? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, moving on. Uh, uh, what do you want to touch on? Because we're basically on the last two topics. It's China purging members of its government. Cough, cough. And then um, the in, the tensions between India and China, which is pretty intriguing in terms of its own questions, really. But like. Mm-hmm. Uh, long... Well, there, there, there was another thing that I was going to add, but I'll probably uh, like another topic, but I'll probably touch on it very shortly at the end. <laughs> right. Okay. I mean, we can do the ti- Chinese officials being purged because. Um... Mm. Yeah, I've not, I've not heard anything about this. So yeah. So from what I've seen of it, because it's pretty unusual, um, the Chinese foreign minister who uh, was part of basically Xi's faction basically got has disappeared uh it's the best way to explain it really but long story short of it a u.s diplomat to china uh made a funny quote on unemployment in china because that's a big thing post-covid in terms of youth unemployment but he mentioned mm. huh it's very weird i think this unemployment thing has it uh is that also happens with the foreign ministry as well uh basically a massive general in the military got purged uh Mm. it seems like he has but China basically saying he's disappeared or under house arrest or whatever but um, <laughs> from perspective of an outsider's perspective it looks like uh, Xi Jinping's a bit uh, paranoid and he's mm. basically just purged his entire cabinet pretty much I mean Stalin <laughs> Stalin levels of purges oh. I mean we've not seen in terms of like what's happened in Chinese history with the Communist Party, we've not seen a purge on this scale since Mao Zedong, and mm. that's uh, interesting. But the weird thing is, with the purging of this general, because he was a loyalist, it it, it does uh, as well. Uh, he did purge alongside him um, the basically the military branch of the PLA that's in charge of nuclear weapons. So oh, that in itself is interesting, yes. But also too, if you look at what's happening 
in the region in China, there's basically a massive escalation with America over Taiwan. So mm. take away from that what you will, but that's the broad strokes of it. Uh, the other geopolitics thing is this weird tension between India and Canada at the moment. Basically, yeah, that's to right do with that. yeah, that's to do with a Sikh separatist being apparently killed on Canadian soil, and mm. then Justin Trudeau basically saying that uh, he thinks India was responsible for that killing, and basically the, the, that Sikh separatist was a Canadian national to mm. basically put the books on that. So. I mean, it doesn't help considering what's going on in the world. I mean, I'm not sure if you've heard of BRICS. Uh, Brazil, Russia, India, uh, China. Oh, That's yeah. a massive yeah. trading block. But I think what's going on with Canada, because they are part of basically what is the NATO Western sphere, it might push India more towards being closer with Russia and possibly China. Although mm. India has weird tensions with China, obviously, in their northern border. But BRICS in itself is interesting. India, uh, in terms of them geopolitically, they're becoming more and more nationalist, to say the least. Uh, there were plans to rename their country to, like, I can't remember what the name was. But it was very, like, they think India's a very... Um, european naming of it by the british to say mm. the least but yeah india's going down this weird right wing nationalist route at the moment so it'll be weird to see where this pans out really geopol geopolitically because um it might push india further away from you know us mm. or, and south you know like bricks as a trading block sees itself as an alternative to like american economics so in itself that's might cause problems but we're gonna have to see later down the line what happens with that really and the re and the new name they want to change it to was a barrett barrett yeah that rings a bell. Yep. yeah but uh, i think yeah. that was their original name maybe they it's mentioned in their constitution once but beyond that it's not mentioned mm. further basically the nationalist hindustani party in charge of india just want to rename India to Bharat in general. Well, there's another one as well because the, um, the the Sikh separatist, yeah. um, the group that he sort of uh, promotes and, and whatnot, and um, uh, that he sort of represents, they also want a part of India to be sort of sectioned off as a separate country. And I can't remember mm. what he wants to call it, um, but basically, a, a space for Sikhs. So yeah. there's a long-standing feud between Sikhs and Hindus in India. Yeah. Um, quite bad. Um, you know, there's been a lot of assassinations over the year, and that's why it's not entirely um, difficult to sort of believe Justin Trudeau when he's coming out and saying yeah. that this uh, Sikh separatists have been assassinated because it has happened in the past on both sides. So yeah. it, it's a very interesting situation. And again, with like a nationalist government in India that is just going to make obviously the tensions worse because yeah. with any nationalist government they're going to push for you know a homeland for their own people basically an mm. ethno state I mean let's be real in the whole history of India is it basically in terms of it as a subcontinent it was a very diverse place but the British f basically found ways to carve it up and divide it and 
weirdly also fusion it with different parts to basically try and you know the british raj Mm. it's not meant to be one country in essence it's it's a very diverse place to say the least but um that's a long broad strokes of it i mean you mentioned talking about a certain topic james if you do want to wrap up on that yeah it was just um quite an interesting one i don't know if you guys have seen but um back to the the jolly back to jolly old england <laughs> um the uh last year so the met police of course always the met fucking police um last year met police shot um a male in london um and sadly he died right uh anyway it's been through the course and whatnot the officer um responsible for his death has now been charged with murder and in in sort of response to that a hundred met police firearms specialist fire, counter-terrorist firearms officers uh yesterday all went into work and all handed in their weapons and refused they're now refusing to work um which obviously is insane you know, great solidarity for their colleague, but it's absolutely insane. We've, we're, you know, that's now a hundred. These are counter-terrorists. These CTS FOs have just walked in, handed in all their weapons, just gone. Nope. <laughs> so now there is a uh, inquiry that's been opened up by Suella Braverman, but the the um, the update today is something that I find quite worrying. Is that because of what's happened with these hundred? firearms officers sort of walking out the Ministry of Defence uh, has offered to provide the Met Police with a hundred armed soldiers in replacement of these of counter-terrorism these officers um, something that I'm very much against mainly because these are soldiers uh, you know, no disrespect to them but at the end of the day soldiers are not trained in domestic conflict uh, or dealing with yeah. Um, the wide range of things that police officers go to. And I my, my main worry is is that if this goes ahead, my main worry is that you're going to end up seeing a massive increase in police-related deaths yeah. uh, and shootings whilst these soldiers are sort of there in replacement of these police officers. I think it's a really, really bad idea. Um, I, mean... I, I, I don't necessarily have a solution to it. But I, I just think it's, I just think it's a very, very bad idea, and it's isn't quite worrying. Met, Met, isn't the Metropolitan Police though currently under investigation by the Home Office via inquiry, uh, uh, specifically in relation to as well in the broad strokes of the Metropolitan Police? It is, um, what is these two police officers? One of them was a rapist, the other one was a murderer. Um, I believe so. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, Which, again, Metropol- I think that Metropol- might Metropol- highlight is always at the forefront of as a whole. These issues. Yeah, and it has a lot of issues. I mean, a lot of the, um, you know, when I was in training and stuff, I was always told when they bring out new laws and new policies and regulations in Greater Manchester Police, and I'm assu- I'm, I assume it's the same in other forces, yeah. uh, they, they're always sort of um, created uh, in relation to things that has happened in the Met because yeah. they always seem to be the ones that are the bad examples and then the other forces then go all oh, right we need to change this policy yeah. or or do this or whatever and um it does happen a lot they, they, they do have a lot of issues but ir- irrespective of that I, i'm just concerned at the fact that 
there's going to be a hundred armed soldiers yeah. um, working as police officers in you know the biggest city in the UK for well if it, if it's approved for you know however long until these officers come back. I think that's quite worrying. And again, it is also is worrying where because it's the Home Office in charge of immigration, but also law enforcement. If they're investigating the the Metropolitan Police, it kind of highlights something's wrong with that police oh, force yeah. in particular. Because again, Absolutely. it is the Home Office; they oversee the police. That is their job. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. But it'll be interesting to see how it develops, see if it's approved, if, yeah. if the Met Police say yes. But I, I just think it's it's one of them things. It's like, like when you, you come up with ideas for something and then somebody just poses the most ridiculously stupid idea ever and everyone just looks at them and goes, really? <laughs> and yeah. that's sort of the way I reacted to the news. I was like, um, really? Not sure about that one. I, I just have visions of these soldiers go into sort of someone who's having a mental health crisis who has a weapon and you know because they don't have the train and you know that they don't um you know instead of talking this person down and calm them down i I just have visions of this person ended up being shot because the soldiers lose their patience and you know the person's not putting the weapon away as i just don't think they're not they're not not trained trained in in the same yeah not trained in the same sort of way that police officers are and again it's not to dumb down soldiers but to put it plainly Soldiers are, are trained in, you know, communications. Combat environments. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, yeah, they're in communications, hostile environments, and pointing and shooting and killing things. To not put necessarily it really, policing, really fucking plainly. Which is job description, yeah. No, I, I know, but to put it extremely plainly, and that, that just worries me because I, I just think that doesn't mix very well with the day-to-day job of a police officer in yeah. in, in London, but... We'll see what happens. Yeah, unless anyone else has something to add, I think we can actually wrap it up there. Yeah, no, I think um, I think we're good. All right, yeah. Thanks for listening, I guess. <laughs> see ya. Bye.